Yes, I'm here. Hi. Good. It's coming in good. So, welcome to the show. This is Fam Electric Ghost, and uh, we have Sunny Day on the, on the show. And we're happy to have you on for the first time on the Fam Electric Ghost podcast. This podcast is where we interview indie artists from around the world. We've been doing it since 2018. Uh, this is the audio version of the show. We do do a video version, but we still do an audio version. So we're happy to have you on the audio only version of the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So we sent you the questions and we're going to kind of go through that and kind of free form, you know, kind of go through it. And then as things come up, we'll just kind of diverge into whatever we come into. Um, so the first thing I always ask all the artists I talk to is like when you first got into music, you know, like like what age is the same part of that question? Um, I was around eight years old when I got into uh, I would say writing lyrics. Um, I've always been into music and singing um, my whole life, but when I started to feel like that I could actually, you know, do it myself and kind of have that dream begin for me, started around eight years old. That's cool. I mean, that's interesting. The one thing I would just add as a footnote, a lot of the singer songwriters or creators I talked to did start like when they're under 10 years old, that it seems like that's a very common thing. I've interviewed like 75 people and the majority of them all say what you just said. (laughs) Yeah. I, I heard that too. It's, I don't know why that is. It's, it's just, uh, for me personally, I kind of, had it all figured out, you know, <laughs> the same dream, you know, so. I think creative people have that kind of in their DNA, you know, I think there's there's a certain type of person that becomes a musician, right? A, a person that that has all these things and knows how to actually actualize their feelings into some form of art. Yeah, you know? I call it uh, the architecture mindset. You can just build things from nothing. Yeah, it's just, it's just interesting because, you know, it's like you, there are people that play pianos or guitars or bass guitars, and then there are people who are singers and they can come up with the lyrics, uh, you know, people who are producers, they can jump on a computer and build something that, you know, a regular person couldn't even understand how to do it. Um, it's, it's just like there's a certain creative bent. And, you know, the Victorian poets, because I was a big, big into poetry and I took courses in school, um, they, they called it like the muse. You know, that, that you could pick up this like universal idea of the muse. And today, you know, people call it like the ether or you get it out of the, the kind of like, you know, there's this overall arching universal like expression that you can tap into, in, in, you know, as an artist, it seems. That's interesting. I've never heard to it referred to as ether, but it does make a lot of sense. Um, yeah, it's more of a new age kind of term. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of cool. I always thought it was referred to just as like a, I don't know if it's like a, not a it's a collective conscience, but it's just, uh, I would say just like a pool of creativity. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But. I think it's like, there's all this, like, you know, if you think about music, like there's the bass clef and the treble clef, there's only so many you know, actual notes on a piano or a guitar, right? But right. the combination of the chords and all the notes are like endless combinations. But there's like, there is a certain limitation of like, okay, these 
this is like the range of the instrument. This is what you can do. Um, but then how, how you interpret that is like endless. And, and it seems like there's, there's this one idea that I always thought was really interesting from a band I really like called the, the Who. And the Who had this rock opera that they actually failed to create. They created Tommy, they created Quadrophenia, and they tried to do this third one called Lifehouse. And in Lifehouse, they had this idea that's like this like uh, universal note. There was this idea that there was this universal key that you could tap into. And if you tapped into it, like everything would be great. It would be like this hippie dream. That if you actually tapped into the universal note, like everything would be solved. All your problems would go away. It was just kind of, kind of, it was like a very kind of, you know, maybe naive idea, but it was this idea that you could find some kind of note that would solve everything. Um, <laughs> interesting. And it, yeah, it was just interesting because I was like, okay, well, then at the end of the day, you know, that's the album where like the song Won't Get Fooled Again comes from or Teenage Wasteland. So at the end of the day, the story is that, well, that didn't work. <laughs> right. And they tried to tap into it, and then you get Teenage Wasteland, and you get Won't Get Fooled Again. It's like, why? Because you couldn't actually achieve it. <laughs> um, but it's just interesting. Like, so I think, like, just kind of diverging, but I think all artists kind of pick up on that kind of universal idea. Um, you know, where you get your ideas from is kind of like, you know, it's hard to describe to somebody that's not a creative person. They're like, well, how can you write? You know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just like how it's, usually the, the question that I get is where does it come from? <laughs> like, you know, where yeah. do you find the words for that or, you know, how does it just appear? And it's really, it, uh, I don't know. I, I think it's more to do with starting at a young age and repetitiveness. You know, the, the more you do something, the easier it kind of becomes yeah. to you, I guess. It's like and verbal, if verbal. You love it, you know. <laughs> well, I think, I think you're talking about like sport athletes talk about muscle memory, right? Yeah, so yeah. So they keep on doing a three point shot, and then their body just knows how to do it, right? Yeah. So, it's, so it's like a musician. Like if you you get like musical memory, right? You get yeah. creative memory. So you, like every musician, every artist kind of has all their reference points, right? They have all the people they look up to, right? All the people they were influenced by then they have their own style and then they practice. And so as, as you get more into your skill, you just start to have this kind of musical memory. That's like a muscle memory and you just can do it. And it's hard to describe because you just know what goes with what, you know, you hear something and you know what lyrics go with it. You hear, you know, your beat comes up and then you figure out how to arrange it. Cause it just, you're in, it's intuitive because you do it so much that you actually get a skill set you actually build it up because you actually do the work. Yeah, that's how it is. I agree uh, 100%. Really, it's just, um, you know, then when you love it, you know, it makes it's a it, passion. Yeah, <laughs> it's something that, you know, oh, I'm not forcing myself to do this. This is my, like, escape from. Yeah, it's not your nine to five. No. <laughs> it's like, what I find is, like, most musicians, it's like, it's not their nine to five. It's their passion. You know, it's what they want to do as their nine to five, but they can't. Or, or, you know, they, they, even when you have a musician that's doing it at their full-time job, they still have to do the publicity. They have to go deal with their agent. They got to go do this. They got to do that. And sometimes they don't get to do what they really like to do, right? Maybe they only get to be on stage for two hours. And the rest of the day, they got to do all this other stuff. 
and it, yeah, it's the PR. Really not, yeah, it's not anything to do with actually doing what they want to do. <laughs> you know, so so even when you are in it full time, there's all these things that you have to do that take away from the actual work that you love. <laughs> and I think that's what the people are just okay. Well, I I love it so much, I'll deal with it. Well, the things I don't like about it, just so I can do it. <laughs> But, I think um, that's why I'm going to probably stay independent. Well, yeah, I'm going to stay independent. I'm always going to be an independent artist. Yeah, I think I think the thing about being independent is the problem with jumping on a label. Like, if you go and jump on a label, it seems like a good deal initially because, like, they might give you support, right? They'll give you upfront money. They give you tour support. They give you a manager. They get you booked, you know, if you get the right kind of deal, right? The idea, like back in the 70s, if you got signed, you know, you got A&R, you got somebody that, that, that you know, was your tour, tour manager, you got a booking manager, they put you on the talk show circuit, they get you in the radio stations, they do all this stuff. So you could just concentrate on doing the music. But but then it's like, if you don't have a hit, like they maybe will let you stay on the label for like three records. And mm-hmm. if those, those three records don't do good, then you're gone. <laughs> Yeah, it's like you're one and done, you know, and it's never personal. It's just business, you know, yeah. and they're yeah. in the beginning. They're like, OK, well, let me stop. <laughs> but but it's like back in the day, like in the 60s yeah. and 70s, you might get three shots. Mm-hmm. But like today you go on a label, you're probably only going to get one shot. Yeah, there's <laughs> you know? a, a few reasons why I will never be on anybody's label. But that's neither here nor there, you know. Just my personal. Yeah, well, I think you gotta, you gotta like, you know, if you don't like the directions that the labels are going, and you don't think there's like, unless somebody creates a brand new label that matches your ideas, you know, there's no. It's kind of hard to to find that. There was, you know, a couple of labels that happened in the '60s that people thought they were artist labels, Mm -hmm. like like Warner Brothers and Geffen were supposed to be like the artist labels. And then the artist found out like, well, these aren't exactly what I thought they were. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they were supposed to be geared as artist centric labels. And then suddenly the artist started rebelling against them saying, well, I guess you guys aren't as artist centric as you thought. Um, <laughs> but um, let me get into more like, so when did you actually start working on music that you, you have today? and realized that you had a talent for it and you had your, like your own voice that you weren't just like, um, like a lot of people start music and they're playing like classical music or they're, they're being trained on piano or playing in some kind of cover band, but they don't write their own music. When did you actually like take your own music and start to build on it where you actually presented it and played it? Well, um, very recently, I started um, doing this, actually applying uh, my voice to my words to, you know, actually producing and, you know, coming out with the sound, the physical, you know, something I could, you know, physically say, you know, listen to this. It's something I made. Um, That happened uh, maybe six months ago. But I have been studying uh, producing and all the little 
intricate details of making music for years. You know, that was a very long process. Um, personally, for me, just having the time to mentally put into like uh, actually looking up every single detail of producing and, you know, and learning like um, that took years, like, like uh, feeling like I could comfortably write my words down uh, and express how I really felt mm-hmm. and not just writing what somebody would want me to say that took, you know, it's a process. So I, yeah, I was yeah. evolving from one thing to the next to, I felt like I was just like, uh, maybe six months ago, just one day I woke up and I, so, it, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so did it start with like poetry and then the poetry turned into more like lyrics? Because I think I've talked to a lot of artists, like they, they're writers and they start with poems and then poems are exactly what you do to do music. Like they can be the start of it, but the poetic form usually doesn't fit music. It has to get adjusted to fit with beats and, you know, even like rock bands, you can't take the exact poem. You have to adjust it to make it fit within a structure of a song. Right. So was, so, so was, so was that something like a process that you probably were writing for a long time, but then you had to make an adjustment, right, to make it fit in music? Yes. Yeah, so for me, the process basically was I have been writing poetry for over a decade. I would say most of my life I've been writing since I could write. I've been writing poetry, but I wondered why my poems, when I tried to like read them to a beat, it, yeah, it didn't fit. So oh, you thought, yeah, it was a process. You figured it out. <laughs> I had to figure out how to make my words go with the beat. And that's literally how I learned. That's technically basically how I learned that I had to yeah. write to the music. <laughs> yeah. I think that's every yeah. song. Like I think I had that thing. Like I, I'm in my fifties, but everything I had was like poetry. And then, you know, I was a keyboard player and I never thought they kind of mix them. And then suddenly mm. I decided, you know, kind of like, wait, I'm playing synthesizer. I'm doing all these ambient things and I'm never saying anything. I'm just playing. I was in bands and I never sang. I never did. Oh. I just like, I never even thought to do it. I had them like totally, totally segregated. Like, here's my poems. Here's my music. I never thought to even put them together. And then suddenly I, one day I said, well, you know what? I see all these bands and I love all these bands. It's like these guys actually made the stuff and integrated. And I said, well, I got to work on it. And it did take a while, like you said, because the poems did not work. How it, old were it, you when you started? I started to integrate. Uh, well, piano, I was starting when I was like 12. And oh, I, wow. I actually, had, I had started on a clarinet when I was like seven, eight. And then I realized you can't write on a clarinet. <laughs> you know well you can but it's not the kind of music I wanted you know it was going to be nothing but jazz which is cool but that's not a that's not write jazz. That's I do write jazz but it's like it's like you can't write like pop songs on yeah. a clarinet or a piano as a writing instrument and then when I learned how to do the piano then I said well I don't want a piano I actually want like a synthesizer because then I could actually do more than just the just the piano. So then, then I had to learn how to play organ and electric piano and all the different things the synthesizers can do. So it's kind of like you had to relearn how to play piano to play synthesizer because it's different. 
because you're actually emulating other instruments. So you have to learn how to play like a guitar, learn okay. how to play like a, like a trumpet, like a set. You have to act like it's not exactly the same kind of way you play piano. So do you so play thought, by ear or do you play like I music? originally was, yeah, I was originally trained to read. But then part of the synthesizer techniques is that you actually have to learn things that aren't really written down. Um, so yeah, eventually it just became, I can sight read, but I, a lot of it's by ear. And just because I don't have the patience to go writing it down. I'll let my computer write it down. <laughs> but, yeah, um, oh, that's awesome. But, but, but it's like, you know, a lot of what I do is because, you know, I, I'm a musician and I have this kind of, one of the cool things, like a lot of African-American musicians, we have this kind of natural play-by-ear capability. And my grandpa had it. He could pick up a banjo. He could pick up a guitar. He could pick up a horn. He could just play it. And he never was trained. He couldn't sight-read at all. And that's very common. Um, you know, in, in a lot of musical African-American families, you'll find, like, they can play it, but they can't, they can't read it. But they can jump on the instrument. They can play like Yeah, that's it. my current situation. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of people like that. I mean, Hendrix was like that. I mean, there's a lot of famous musicians that can't sight read and they can outplay anybody that can sight read. <laughs> um, so it's kind of like, it's like the feel, like you, like you get a really good musician like a Hendrix. He, he, can, he heard a chord, he could pick up any chord just by mm -hmm. hearing it. He would just know it, he could just do it. And it's just like, you know, they're you know, famous piano players that did the same thing in jazz and stuff. So it's like really didn't matter. But the whole idea is this, you know, I just tried to, integrate it and figure out how to make it work and it did take a long time i mean i was playing since i was 17 i didn't really get the lyrics working until i was in my 40s right so i mean that's kind of far <laughs> a, a big long process i didn't really get this going as the ghost until i was like in 2008 and i started when i was like 17 hey um, better than never I mean, yeah, you know. it's just a it's just a dream I I had. It's like okay, I'm finally gonna do something and not be just in a band, you know. I'm actually gonna have my own band. Exactly. <laughs> and so that I think that's the, the decision you have to make as a songwriter. Like, are you gonna be in other people's bands? Are you being like a studio musician? Or are you gonna you know? Or are you gonna be like your own project? So like you you I think we, we talked before we, and you said you wanted to be in bands. Right. But you end up being like a solo act. Yeah. I grew up wanting to like start a band, but um, I just had friends that had different interests. Like I never actually came out and said, hey, let's start a band. But mm -hmm. <laughs> you maybe were hoping it was going to happen, but you, didn't, <laughs> it didn't, you never had the situation actually happen. But you would have wanted to, it to happen. Yeah. I, um, I, my mom uh, signed me up for the Power Chord Academy, which was a little school in New York, but um, just because it was like in a different state and I was uh, a minor, like um, I ended up not going, but mm -hmm. like, I just feel like everything happens when it's time for it to happen, yeah. I guess. So it yeah. just wasn't okay. time at that time. Yeah. Sometimes I mean, you, a lot of people start when they're young. You know, like I was in all these bands, and, you know, garage bands and basement bands and cover bands and stuff. And, you know, just because I wanted to get into it. Um, and, you know, everybody kind of grew out of it. And I just kept on going. And I decided to become like a bedroom producer. 
kind of before bedroom producers was like a thing, you know, before there yeah. was a net, before there was a net, before there was a DAW, I had all these like tape recorders. Oh, so I, you're OG. <laughs> yeah, I had I had like like task scams and I still have like like digital recording systems that are not DAWs. They're like I have like Zoom 24 track recorders that are hardware recorders. I'm and, gonna get task scams. Yeah, they're really good because then you don't have to deal with a computer. And you can just put down whatever you want to put down. There's no there's no like CPU limitation. There's no like you gotta do an upgrade. It basically is like it's like a tape recorder and it's like you can multi-track and you multi-track whatever you want. And it doesn't stop you, it doesn't say okay, it doesn't have enough memory, it doesn't it lets you kind of overlay and create all these tracks. And how many tracks does it like well, the one I have, I have an R24 from Zoom, and it does 24 tracks, and then you can bounce it up to 48. Oh, wow. That's so, impressive. So I can do, like, 24 tracks, stereo tracks, so maybe 12 stereo tracks, and then I can do another 12 stereo by doing a bounce, what is called a bounce. It's like an old technology, but it's a physical recorder, and what I like about it is I have all these synthesizers. I don't have soft synths. I have, like, Moogs and Rollins like hardware sense with you know real keyboards and i can just plug them into this thing with jacks like guitar jacks into this mm-hmm. device and it records them. and then i can bounce them so i can say i can all do a set of chords and then i can do another set of chords so i could have two lines of pianos like built into my song i could keep on overlaying pianos if i want to i could have like 12 <laughs> pianos on top of each other or i could have like a piano and a bass <laughs> and, a, and a drum i Sorry, can I just I, had like a very funny scene pop into my head like like yeah, you're at maybe, home yeah and maybe you're like a full concert with all the, the whole band and it's just you there <laughs> yeah yeah you basically can just overlay everything and you can build whatever you want and i loved it because it's like i used to have bands and everybody stopped showing up and then i said well now i can be the drummer now i can be the bass player <laughs> No, I can do, and I basically, that's, Sorry. <laughs> well, that's what the ghost is. The ghost is basically just me acting like it's a band, but it's all me. Wow. It's kind of like what, what Prince and Stevie Wonder do. I actually t- take the time to actually make myself into a band. It takes, it's a lot of work, but I like it. So, and then I can't, I'm a control freak. So like anybody who's like a singer songwriter, like you tend to be kind of a control freak. And then once you have this kind of situation, you can kind of control everything. And, you know, everybody, anybody that's in a DAW has got the same kind of experience. Um, but I, before DAWs, this is the way I was doing it, and I still do it this way. And people would say, well, that's a lot of work. And I said, well, yeah, but it's actually fun. <laughs> yeah, I've actually thought about doing that. But, like, well, I've just thought about doing it to, like, produce a song, you know, for different yeah, tracks. Yeah. Like, actually recording it into my laptop, my laptop still, but just... I don't know. I just thought that would be kind of cool to like make a beat or something. Yes. And what's cool about it is very organic. And the thing about it is it sounds more like stuff that was written in the 70s or the 60s or yeah, 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Like because really, it has a what little. Michael Jackson did. Yeah. Because it's more human. Because if you don't let the computer do it, right, you don't have something saying it's got to be perfect, right? You, you're kind of doing it based on the feel. And, you know, over time as a musician, you can keep the beat because you're a musician, right? The people who get into the kind of dog world, they, they don't, they kind of don't have to worry about that because the dog will keep the beat for you. But in this kind of
these these recorders, you got to play kind of good. You have to play in time. <laughs> you know, you have to actually know your song. You have to actually know how to, which is, you know, as a musician, that's a good way to keep in, in your skills up. Because if you, you basically learn the song so then you could go out and play it and you'll, you'll, you'll know it. <laughs> exactly. Because you, cause that's what I'm kind of old school. It's like if I write my song, I want to actually know how to play it. <laughs> I don't want to depend <laughs> on the computer to do it. I, I actually want to go out and play it in New York. I want to play it. So I learn how to play. But, <laughs> but I think it's just a different way of doing it. And, you know, there, there are people who are trying to come back into it. I get people I talk to all the time that actually would like to work with me because I do it that way. Um, because then they're like, oh, I want to do that. And there's a lot of people that don't do it. And I do it. So then they, they come to me and I help them out. But um, it, it's just a process, you know, how however people record. Like, I don't, it's not one way better than another. It's just what I choose to do. Do you ever use like uh, like weird objects and like, different room for ambience like when you oh yeah i mean i have mics i got i have like uh, all kinds of mics and i have all kinds of um weird devices that basically, yeah like a spoon you know like... yeah i have sample <laughs> i have samplers that i'll go and do what i call field recordings right so a field recording is you go out and with a mic and you go and break a glass right you go and take a like a book and you put the mic and then you open the pages in front of the microphone. Right. So the, it, it picks up you turning the pages. Right. And then you go and put that into a sampler and then you use that for like a beat or you use it for an effect. So you go and learn how to like record ambient sound. I go go for a walk in my neighborhood and pick up a bunch of birds. I've done that with uh, bring them in. <laughs> Yeah, it's cool. I think it's, it's like a lot of bands in the '60s used to do it, like Genesis, and Yes, this album where they actually had a field recorder in a forest. And this album called "Close to the Edge" at the beginning of the record is a recording of the forest for the first like thirty seconds. It's the recording of what they got out of the forest. Oh, that's starts beautiful. The, starts the record. I, I think it's we're getting back into that. They're actually going back and realizing that that Peter Gabriel was real famous for wanting to do stuff like that. He was the original lead singer of Genesis, and he kind of was an art school guy. So he was always pushing them to do very arty things um, like that. And uh, I was always a big um, Floyd early Genesis were big, like a lot of art school students, and they were like into doing very experimental things uh, in the studio. And I was like, okay, I'm a big fan of that kind of that kind of effort. <laughs> Because it's it's a little, you know not just using the DAW but going out and 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 using all kinds of weird things like even going using like backward tape loops, um, you know doing uh, all kinds of strange like effects like grabbing like a guitar pedals and running your voice through a guitar pedal, or or running the drums through a phaser or run you know doing something that you wouldn't expect to do, like mic right. micing micing your amp and then recording your sound coming through an amp and then put it back into like a synthesizer. So I'll mic my synthesizer, record it, have it come back into another synthesizer and then make that sound get manipulated by that other synthesizer. So it does all kinds of strange things. And it's stuff that's kind of like point in time, kind of like painting 
with sound and you do it in such a way where it's, it's like super artistic and very experimental because it's not something you can easily repeat. So yeah, you put it down. Well, on, put, well put. Yeah. You put, <laughs> you put it down on tape and you have it on tape, but you can't just go on the computer and replicate it. You have to kind of live with, okay, this is a point in time type of thing I'm going to use and it's going to be what it is. And it's kind of special because that's what it is, but you can't replicate it all the time. So it's a different way of doing things. Everybody wants to be able to capture everything today and say, hey, I can recall this and recall this. It's like, well, maybe you shouldn't do that, but (laughs) it's different. I I just like to do different things. But um, so you, you were new into recording and you figured out how to actually turn the poetry into music. And then you started to learn how to actually get, you know, to integrate the beats with the flow. Maybe talk about some of the first songs that you were successful with that. What you think in your catalog represents like the biggest, like it's like thing that your big breakthrough in how you do that. My big breakthrough in how I, uh, maybe like the first song. song you did, yeah. Maybe because you publish like on SoundCloud stuff you have out there. Is there any particular song on SoundCloud that you mm-hmm. think that you actually, did did that you know got to the point where you wanted it to be like like you you had learned about how to do this and what's a good representation that people want to listen to you of like what maybe your best piece of work um i like all my songs but um i'm never satisfied (laughs) yeah i'm never satisfied so i uh i like my song chick even though I have some unreleased, a lot of unreleased music um, mm-hmm. that I like more right now. Um, I guess my one of my published songs, I would go with Chick, but I'm never really satisfied. Like, I'm a perfectionist, so I'm not happy with uh, my current uh, skill level, even though I've gotten, you know, compliments and stuff. I still cr- critique myself. Well, I think every musician... You know, when they're out there, like your first album, you grow from your first to your second to your third. There's a nat- natural progression from song to song. So so I like vibes a lot. And, oh, uh, thank you. And I think I talked about before that there was this, I'm, I'm trying to find the other one I really was into. Um, there was another one. Oh, Captain Sunny. Because there was like, it's just kind of like, it's like a trip hop. You got multiple things. You have like straight like hip hop and rap, but then you have this trip hop, and I'm kind of into psychedelic stuff like Pink Floyd and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I like the kind of trippy nature of that. Thank you. I um, spent probably like uh, I would say all together thirty hours making that. Trying like, to get it straight. <laughs> So you just like, did you just get into a zone trying to get to it? Like you um, had a, an intention and you just stuck, stuck on it until you could get it? Well, that's how I am in general. But anytime I make a song, I have to complete it. You know, I cannot like let it sit. You can't put it down? You just can't, you No, just I have to complete it. Um, it's just like, I, I can't explain it, but it has to be done. And um, yeah, that was, that's more of like a soundtrack though. That That's more of like... Um, it's I don't know if it's a beat or it's just really like an experience, you know. Like I try yeah, to very, transcend very to listen to another, you know, galaxy. It's very much like a sound painting. 
you know yeah yeah that, that I, i'm a big fan of that concept which you know they, that kind of comes from um like if you think about george martin from the beatles and hendrix oh. <laughs> they, yeah. they, they both came up with the term like like so hendrix people ask him about electric ladyland and they said, well, like, we hear birds, we hear the ocean, we hear all these things. Like, on that record, he's, you know, he's doing all this, re- you know, really interesting stuff with his guitar and his effect pedals. He created all these weird sounds. They're, like, almost like synthesizer sounds. And so a lot of synthesizer players actually name check that Hendrix record and say that, that that's a very progressive record. Because it, it, he does really interesting things with, with the effects on his guitar. They're almost like synthesizers. And... And when somebody asked him about it, he said, well, it's a sound painting. And I was like, wow, that's a really interesting idea. And then George Martin talked about it with the Beatles and, and said, you know, it makes Sgt. Pepper's. The idea was not to have the Beatles do in Hamburg live, but to make them sound like they couldn't sound live and, and actually do things in the studio that you can't do on stage. So you can actually experiment and create tones and colors that you can't do on stage. They made a uh, yellow submarine, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yellow yeah, submarine is very uh, trippy. That's very trippy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love uh, quite a few of their songs, but uh, wasn't a lot of their music from Chuck Berry or something like that? Wasn't. Uh, well, the original music they did was covers. And then they created like Sgt. Peppers and Rubber Soul and like Yellow Submarine are more like psychedelic. They're not okay. as um, like black rock um, started. A lot of black, a lot of English bands like the Stones and Led Zeppelin totally cloned the blues. But be the Beatles actually have this kind of psychedelic thing that doesn't really come from the blues. It's it's more like it's a it's it's like classical and progressive. Yeah, some, I agree. It's some other direction. Um, where like I Led saw Zeppelin, a movie where it was like suggesting that. I, I don't know from... Yeah, yeah. I mean, all the British <laughs> bands kind of stole from black artists. That's the truth. Well, yeah. They, they, they all kind of built off of Chuck Berry and Lead Belly and Robert Johnson, all the famous blue guys from the Delta. They did. And, you know, some of the bands, like the Stones would actually say they did it. They'd actually write down that the song came from Robert Johnson, but Led oh, Zeppelin, okay. Led Zeppelin didn't. They would act like they didn't. They would take an exact line from Lead Belly or Robert Johnson or any of the great blues guys and not cite it. They wouldn't actually cite that it came from. Them. And so that I think that was a that that is like a known issue. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, to me, it's like, you know, it's like plagiarism. Like if you're a writer and you don't acknowledge that you took something from somebody exactly, mm-hmm. that's not cool. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's just so whack as a musician, you know, like, because I, it's just like, it's my shit, you know, don't, if I use something, I mean, I, I like to do like little catchphrases, but like, it's like well known. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think be, everybody like, kind of be quoted who it's from or, you know, if I do a cover. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you just usually put it down if you've, like, if you've got a bunch of samples, you got to cite your samples. Like, if you go to publish, yeah. you got to cite where all your samples come from, right? And so if you go in and you put down, like, you know, like Ice Ice Baby, and you say, hey, that's original. 
And it really comes from, <laughs> a, that comes from the Queen David Bowie song, Under Pressure. And he, I, he said he acted, they, I think, you know, Vanilla Ice acted like that was original. And it was like, that's not original. That That is totally coming no, from that No, it's not original. It kind of totally comes from the Queen song. And then he ended up losing all his rights on it because he tried to say he changed it a bit and he didn't. <laughs> it was exact. So it, it, you got to really, you know, if you if you love the music that you're referencing, and there's a lot of, you know, when you're in the blues, there's like a blues standard. Some of the Delta blues, like you can't really do it other than doing it. That's what it is. And so if you do a Robert Johnson song, you go do like, oh, I'm going to go down to the crossroads because, you know, the, you know, that's what it is. It's always going to sound in that zone. Like if Eric Clapton does it or some other blues guy does it, it's always you know, if um, Steve Ray Vaughan does it, it's going to sound similar because it's, right. it's, it's kind of a form like EDM. Like the blues is like a very specific form and you can't really get out of it. Um so everybody knows that the original guys are like Johnson and all these other guys, right? And that's what it is. And so if you do it, then you're kind of always giving homage to them. That's just what it is. Um, but I think, yeah, people have to acknowledge where they come from. But I think it's just interesting in, in your music that you have this varied style that you can't really pin it down, which is cool. Thank you. Because you know that's what you're going for. You don't want to get like you 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 don't want to get pigeonholed, right? No, and because I'm such a versatile person, you know, I have no choice but to express myself in versatile ways through my music. Because I think there's so much today, and like we live in an age where you know somebody could do take a 1920 style, you know, and put it with like EDM or hip hop or trap and like bring it in. And so you get out like a flapper type of type of beat and throw it into a modern song. You know, you, you could take some like New Orleans like blues and throw it into a song. You, you can you can have so many cross mods that you know you just take whatever you feel. Yeah, there's so much blending that we can do. It's just so uh unlimited it's it's so unlimited. Like there's so much uh, that we can pull from, especially with the new technology. Um, yeah, with the sample. I mean, the, yeah, the fact that you can sample. What I like to do with samples is not do like an ice ice baby, but like, <laughs> but, but you you take like a beat and then you rip it up. So the, there's a new type. Of, it's like granular synthesis or granular sampling. You take a clip of something that's popular, right, and then yeah. you you rip it apart and you reorder it or you warp it or you turn it inside out. So by the end of the day, it doesn't sound anything like what it was. Wow. It, then it becomes, <laughs> then it becomes like just a new resource. And a good example of that was like, you know, the bomb squad for public enemy. They used to take all these samples and they layered them in such a way. It was hard to figure out where they came from, which, which is cool. Like bands like De La Soul and, and, and Public Enemy were really good at their choice of samples. And even today, there's even more of that, what you can do with that. You can actually do it so you don't get burned because you totally rewrote it. You know, you just take something as a, as a sound source and then reorder it and, re, and change it around. And then you actually 
you don't get pinged for a copyright violation because you actually turned it in. You actually went more artistic with it. Um, here's something that I find really confusing that people are doing with samples, and I would just like your opinion on it. Um, I've noticed that like some artists like they'll use a sample from like a really older popular song, mm-hmm. and like they'll play like the chorus or something for the first like couple notes of that old song and then they'll play their song and it has like nothing to do with the the new song it's just like is that just like a tag for popularity or what is that well it's because a lot of times they're taking something that they can't play (laughs) you know because a lot of times if you're a producer you're not a musician you're taking like a motown or like like an old soul record that had a really good production mm-hmm. and you and you like it and we what they what I've seen people do is they take very obscure soul songs from mm-hmm. the 70s and 60s that aren't super popular like it's not a Marvin Gaye song it's not a it's not like a you know, four top song it's like it's from the Delphonics and it's a really deep track and nobody knows it right so yeah. so so they grab that hoping they're not going to get a strike on it <laughs> Because it, oh, it's not that <laughs> it's, it's not that popular, and then they use it as like a as a hook. Because the thing is, if you look at those songs from the '60s and '70s, they're very hook oriented. Because the musicians who wrote them were really good musicians, and so they they have really good hooks, and so people take those because they're like they're mining for these really good beats or these really good lines, and you know they can't write them. And so they use it and then they put whatever they can do on top of it. And my problem is a lot of times what they put on top of it is nowhere near as good as what they took. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So then I'm kind of <laughs> like, okay, like it's cool. You got this beat. That's interesting. But what you're doing is not interesting. What you took was interesting. <laughs> um, and so I was like, it, it, once in a while I'll get a guy like that where I find like a, like an Earl Sweatshirt or MF Doom. When they do it, okay, I like what they do because their lyricism is so good, it matches the sample. You know, yeah. if you get a really good rapper, a really good hip hop, you get like a Kendrick Lamar, you get, a, you know, you know, you get an Earl Sweatshirt, you get an MF Doom. They are really good lyricists and rappers, so they actually can match the sample they took. You know? Yeah. But if you can't match the sample you took, I'm like, maybe you shouldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. That's just my opinion. See, I think you need to have your lyricism so good that it justifies using it. You got to, I think you got to respect the music that you're using. That's my opinion. But Yeah, sometimes it works though. Some people can pull off a good sample. Well, some people, because I think it's really because I said they're grabbing stuff that's very hook oriented and yeah. people like the hooks. Mm-hmm. And so people are going for the hook and maybe they're not even going for as much what they say, but what they, they, and they're good producers and that they figure out what hooks to put together. And so they got a good drum beat and they put the hooks together and they go into Ableton and they get it done. It, it sounds good. It's just, a, it's just a different style compared to somebody that might have wrote it from scratch. But um, that's just my, my thing on it though. All the people that don't like what I say, you can you can complain. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, so I think one of the other things I like to get into is um, like your influences. 
Uh, and so who, who are your, your reference points or your influences when you're writing? Who are the people you looked up to that made you want to be an artist? Um, I would definitely say uh, Mariah Carey, uh, Chris Cornell, to oh, name wow. a few. Soundgarden. That's interesting. That's crunch. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Chris was uh, a phenomenal was voice. Believable artist. He was unbelievable. He was, yeah, amazing. Yeah, because if you look at Kurt Cobain, you look at Eddie Vedder, if you, you know, they're great, but like Chris Cornell actually had like, like, the, like the Mariah Carey voice of grunge. Yeah. <laughs> he, had the, he had the range. Like he had like, like a Robert Plant, you know, like, 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 you know, like it was, yeah. uh, very good. Worldly. Yeah. He had a very good <laughs> vocal range and he like, like an operatic voice, you know, an ability to hit notes that other bands couldn't hit that technically he was like, that is good as you know to me as like a Robert Plant, as yeah. good as like you know as, as like a Freddie Mercury, like a guy that can actually hit the notes, which is like you know some people kind of belt it out, but they actually can't technically hit the notes like he could. <laughs> you know, he just like had a classic lead singer voice. Yeah, he was born to uh, sing for sure. Yeah, I mean, he could have been in like a '70s rock band, you know. And you know it would have been like like the Stones or like Queen or that's that kind of tradition to me. He was in. He was rev- a lot of people compared Soundgarden to Led Zeppelin, and said they grooved like Led Zeppelin. And he had the range of Robert Plant because Robert Plant could hit these really high notes and it hit the mid range, and he could do the same thing, which is pretty cool. Um, but that's very interesting that you like you Mariah Carey and then Chris Cornell is totally different areas of music. <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> yeah, but that, yeah, I mean, I think it's cool to have be that divergent in what you like. I mean, I like Johnny Cash, and I like Johnny Rotten. <laughs> I love Johnny Cash. I have um, probably all of his albums. Um, yeah, like my but with a little side note, my my parents are from like my mom's from West Virginia, Morgantown, so it was like hillbilly country. So when I used to go in the seventies in the summer, I used to go visit my coal mining coal miner huh. grandfather. And he disliked like Hank Williams and Johnny Cash. He's like really into like, you know, real country, like roots country. And, <laughs> and Johnny Cash is like, you know, everybody, like the black coal miners and the white coal miners, they all like Johnny Cash. Because he was like, you know, he's the man in black. He's this outlaw guy. Yeah, Johnny, really, Johnny was that dude. Yeah, it was just the coolest country because it's like, it's like some country today makes you feel like, okay, it's isolating certain people. It's only for certain people. But Johnny Cash was like, he'd go play in Folsom prison to the prisoners, you know? And he's like, he, he was kind of like, he had this kind of universal thing where he didn't feel like he was picking one group over the other. He was like, he's going for the, for the underdog. Yeah. Johnny has a special place in my heart for sure. Definitely sentimental and nostalgic. Yeah. It's just a really cool sound. It sounds like a train. His yeah. band was kind of famous for sounding like a, like, like a train on the track. And they had this really good rhythm section, and it's like, and he yep. had this, you know, Dylan-like lyrics, like Bob Dylan lyrics. His yeah. lyrics are really good, you know, for country music. It's like some of the best lyrics that you're ever going to hear, on his songs. Um, this written and and really awesome performances and the way he performed. Um, yeah, I like that's that's like the top for me. I, I, I 
just as a songwriter. I think any songwriter you gotta look at like a Dylan, you look at Cash, you look at Lennon McCartney, just because you gotta look at even if it's not your form, you just look at the best of each genre, right? And you figure like, well, who's the best in this genre, and what can you learn from them? That's what I do. <laughs> yeah, well, it's cool because I can hear, I can see that when you give me the, the names of the people that they that you like. You're picking people out that are like phenomenal in their own area, which is is a good thing as a songwriter because if you're aspiring to like I I, I want perfection, then you kind of kind of got to recognize perfection in other stuff. <laughs> yeah, definitely got to pay homage, you know. You know yeah, those are the greats. So, yeah, for sure, um, learn a lot. You have to keep learning, never stop learning as a musician. Ever, you're never gonna be. Uh, you know, the best, the soup, the brightest superstar in the sky. You know, like it's every star fades. You know, there's always something you have to learn. So, well, I think it's interesting. It's the thing about like, like if you get popular, the one bad thing, like everybody has their like purple rain, everybody has their like Hotel California or their free bird, and they become mm-hmm. like an albatross across your neck, right? Because you create, you create that one great song and then everybody just wants to hear that. And then I think as a, as a musician, you're like, you get frustrated if people just want to hear that one song and you've got all these other songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would get frustrating. It seems I'm yeah, not to that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it gets, it pays the bills, but then it's like, then it limits you. Then you're being limited by your own work. And that must be really frustrating that something you created now becomes like an albatross and makes you and it kind of it doesn't make you feel good because yeah, it's like I've they want that yeah yeah because I, I think as an indie artist you don't run into that as much because you just constantly are throwing stuff out to see like what's going to hit against the wall you know you know <laughs> <laughs> that that's my style it's like i just keep on putting singles out and then one of them hits and one of them doesn't i said okay i'll just keep on doing it Exactly. It's just like freedom. It's just like, really, I like making music, so I'm going to do it. (laughs) That's really what it is. Well, you got some people say that you should take all your songs, right? And Mm -hmm. I I hear you do it. You had a lot of songs you didn't release. And but even even so, you are releasing. There are some people that won't release anything for like years. You know, Mm -hmm. no, I can't do that. You're going to miss the moment. Well, to me, it's like, or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, the problem is, like, you, you sometimes in, in the history of music, people have been wrong about the choices of what they think the fans like. That, that a lot of times record companies have actually put out stuff that the artists said they didn't want to come out, and they actually made the decision, and it actually was a better decision than what the artists did. And so that kind of tells you sometimes if you hold on to too much of your work, that sometimes you're not a good your audience might actually pick up on something that you don't think they like. And so it's a good strategy in some places. Like, like I like to use SoundCloud to put like a lot of my demos up. And then when I want to put something out, I say, okay, well, it's going to go wider. Then I'll push it out to iTunes or Spotify or Tidal. But I will always kind of use SoundCloud for my very experimental stuff and see what hits and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's just a strategy, <laughs> you know, but you know, even like YouTube, you could just like, okay, I'm gonna put these clips out on YouTube and see what happens. Um, so, what's your opinion about something like that? Um, I think it's 
great to figure out a marketing strategy as an artist and see what works for you and what doesn't. Um, you know, I think that's a part of uh, figuring out um, just more about the industry in general and the uh, business side of music. Yeah, because some business, I mean, I've actually worked with labels sometimes and they were like, oh, don't put out all this content. Right. And I and actually, I experimented with this one label in, in New York. <clears throat> and um, we still put out a lot of content, but but it's like I, I, I didn't put out as much as I wanted. So I did like 36 tracks with these guys. And then like, I didn't really like how they promoted them. They, they, they kind of told me they were going to do all this work and at the end of the day, I found that, like, when I was indie, just doing it myself, I actually did a better job than they did. <laughs> right. Then I said, well, you know what? That's, like, the last time I'm going to go with one of these labels. Because I was like, I tried I try to do what they wanted, and it still didn't work. And so I was like, okay, like, you guys said that you know what you're doing. And then it didn't work. <laughs> so, so it's like, yeah, I don't know. Today, it's like, I think it's better to kind of do it yourself. Like you said, I think you have more control. Mm-hmm, for sure. That's my philosophy. So uh, in terms of putting out like a record, are you working toward taking all your singles and maybe creating an EP or are you going to stay with like putting out singles? Um, right now I am working on a couple more singles. A record is something that I will do. But it wouldn't be uh, for another, like, year or so. Yeah, because you said you're still wanting to build your, your capability before you're ready to go with a full record. Yeah, for sure. I, th- I just think that it would be premature for me to do a record right now when I, uh, you know, I still have so many things that I want to get in order with my music, so... So in terms of like building, like if you do a project, would it be like an EP first and then a record, like a shorter form? Um, yeah, I would probably do an EP first. And would the songs like, kind of have a theme? Like, and then, though I think the whole idea of an album is like the songs kind of go together in some kind of theme. Or even an EP has a theme usually. Yeah, usually. But, you know... Um... Well, yeah, I think that's pretty standard. I would say. <laughs> well, I mean, there is a, there was some forms like in the in you know when you get to you know there are some albums that really aren't like thematic. They're just like a bunch of songs that kind of go together, but they don't have a theme. Um, and they have a feel, but they don't have like a clear theme. It's just like a bunch of like it could be more like oh these are hits, yeah, but, but they don't actually roll together as a full concept but there's they're really catchy songs they all work and so this album has like four top 10 hits but does it really all gel together well yeah just... i would definitely want to do a theme especially for a premiere you know like your first project you know official that you put together i think it, that would be important just to introduce yourself to your audience and kind of tell them who you are Versus yeah, just you're telling giving a them a bunch of stuff like, here's my work, you know. Like, <laughs> well, I think coming from poetry, I think a lot of songwriters who come from that perspective, 
tend to want to have their work kind of tell a story. Yeah. You know, and, and there's some songwriters that are like, okay, I'm trying to make the best song that has the best beat is the catchiest song. And so an example would be like, you know, if you get like a, like a four tops or a temptation record, you have all these love songs, but they're not necessarily having a theme other than their love songs. Right. And, 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 and they're really good. They're all catchy. It's always just a bunch of top 10 hits, you know, kind of put together until you get to Marvin Gaye and you did like what's going on. And then, then that has a theme, right? But a lot of the temptation of four top records, they really don't have a theme. Um, they just a bunch of hits put together. That's not bad, but it's not, it's not what Marvin Gaye did. It's not what Stevie Wonder did. It's not what even Michael Jackson went on to do. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I definitely agree with you there. With, I think an EP could be a bunch of hits. Like, if you do an EP, it doesn't necessarily have to have a theme. It could just be, like, all your songs that are, like, your hits. Hmm. You know, because I think sometimes what people do with EPs, they put a bunch of singles out, and then they see what hits what hits the wall. Mm-hmm. And then the ones that got the most plays then get put into the EP. <laughs> you know. But um, and that that in itself is like, like then the fans actually have like a greatest hits record, which in itself yeah. is kind of a kind of a theme. <laughs> That's something that you should do further down the line, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think like but a lot of times bands will start off as a singles band, right, and then eventually they take all their singles and they put them together. Um, maybe if they can't come up with a theme, you know. And then that's kind of like the old school way of, of, of putting together records in the 60s and 70s. is like they didn't really have themes. It was just all the hits were just thrown together. Um, but, you know, it, it seems to be that the playlist is that kind of thing today. In the playlist world, like a Spotify playlist, there's a bunch of songs that are real, like, all these different artists, but they, they feel like they, they go together, but they're not necessarily a theme. It's just like they're all got good beats. You all got catchy hooks, you know. So it's like, are, are you are you trying to get on these playlists? Is that something that you want to do as an artist? Because this is kind of like a playlist world today. As, um, as a musician. Well, I mean, I'm not actively trying to get on a playlist, but um, anything that would obviously gain uh, some exposure to my current music would be great for uh, me. Like like an emerging artist playlist. I like stuff like that. Like, I think I actually. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's the kind of playlist I like. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's like, um, I actually, there's a a website that I've been getting on for years since I was a teenager of like emerging artists. So I've heard a lot of songs like years before other people have. Like before they become like what they are, yeah. like, and I think yeah. that's so cool. Yeah, I like to listen to like you know like a punk, like I got on a punk indie playlist and like on Spotify, and it's like anything that's a new punk song comes out, right, or new all. Yeah, I think that's punk. so fucking dope. I think that's how music should be. Like it should just be free for all. <laughs> But it's Sorry. cool to do that. I like the. I like. I, I subscribe to that because I, you know, back in the day, I used to like do college radio, 
and yeah. you know what and I used to like always be breaking all these I, I go read like spin magazine and I find out like some new band they got four stars and then I play them you know because the guys like oh okay I want you know, these guys are getting really good reviews I'm gonna play them I'll, you know they're not being played on the radio but the, the critics thought they were cool I said well I'm gonna play them <laughs> yeah because you know because sometimes the critics love bands and the fans don't <laughs> but uh yeah, I think it's cool to like, give give you know new artists a shot, not just give like the popular artists a shot. Like, that's the whole idea of this podcast is is to go on the indie scene and find emerging artists and then give them attention. That that's kind of what the point is. But I think uh, you know I think that. I think you're doing a really good job with your style in terms of, you know, being influenced like by like Doja Cat, being influenced by Johnny Cash and Mariah Carey and Chris Cornell. So you have a wide range that you could go anywhere. And so like looking forward to what you've come up with in 2022. Thank you. Um, I'm going to try to release a lot of music uh, within the next I'm sorry. Go ahead. Between now and then, you're going to release a, like you're going to try. Are you going to try to do like a single, like a month? Well, <laughs> no. I usually do a single a day. <laughs> oh wow, that's good. I'm yeah. I'm very progressive making music. I now I don't release a lot because I'm very self-critical, and I sometimes like a lot of my uh, like a couple of my songs actually like need features. And, like, I'm working out situations with different artists. Uh, a tough issue right now for me is some artists, well, a lot of artists don't produce their own music. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to, like, uh, like, if we're not uh, physically able to get to each other, it's hard to collab in the way that I want to <laughs> without having to work through, like, a third party or something. So. Oh just, yeah, because if there's somebody's just doing top lines and the other person's doing all the music, then you got like another person involved. Then then yeah. you have to try to <laughs> you try then you like if somebody's got to make an adjustment, like it's not just that person. You got to talk to the other person. Right. So that's um an experience that uh you know I don't know if that's common or not for. Well, I guess it's like I guess like you you can make a choice when you start. You know, it depends on what you do. I tend to work with other artists that are like producer, like level musicians, right? So if I do a collab, it's another guy that or woman that they can play like a mog or something. And so if if we got to change something, they can easily change it. Um, yeah, just play with like a doll. You know, yeah. So it's somebody that actually has the ability to do it, not somebody said, "Why well, now? I got to go call somebody." Because I actually did a bunch of collabs with other musician producers that basically we can have a conference call and say, hey, maybe change the key, maybe do this. And then they can come back in like 30 you know, minutes and they have another version. Um, yeah. I think that's the choice you make eventually. Like, okay, I, I can't work with people and it takes six months to give me something. Um, if you want to be more immediate, you have to find people who can actually work at your speed. Yeah. Yeah. That's so that's a learning lesson. <laughs> yeah, I think eventually, like you, because there's so many people out there, you you, you can start to make a choice. Like I'm, I'm going to put down a law, right? 
I can't work with people who take six months to come back to me. And that's just what I'm going to do. I'm going to find people who are more immediate because I just don't like it. Like if you, if it gets frustrating, you need to say, well, you know what? I just got to make my own rule. And that's what it is, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, uh, and eventually to me, there's so many people out there. You can probably find the people who can actually fit your style of production. It might right. take a while, but you'll probably find people who are more compatible. Unless you want to wait for the person because you think what they're doing is worth waiting for. Yeah, there's ways <laughs> around. There's, you know, it just depends on the person and the, well, usually, well, I guess it depends more on their music and how we, you know, the collab and all that because I, know, I wish it could, was as simple as just sending vocals over email, but not. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because some people, it's not just the vocals, it's like the, all the other tracks and the back and tracks and everything else. Yeah, yeah. So, so you gotta, you gotta, yeah. It's like it's it's just a matter of like who has the capability to actually make the adjustment within the time frame that you think is reasonable, <laughs> and get the project out because I don't like stuff to sit. You know, it has to keep moving like hot cakes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> if you, you you described like you went like twenty thirty hours on one thing, right? And then yeah, somebody else that's is just my don't... typical obsessive. Mine. Well, that's kind of my, my <laughs> I would say that I work the same way. I mean, I have a bedroom studio with all the equipment. So if I get something like tonight after I get off the air with you, I had something I was working on like a couple hours ago. I'm going to jump back into that and I might be up till like two in the morning working on it, right? Um, if I had to wait for somebody in Chicago to give me something, I was like, I probably was like, no, I'm not going to wait. <laughs> right. I'll just go play it myself. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's how it is. You know, I mean, because like, like if you got to wait for somebody to give you a baseline, it's like, well, I can do the baseline. <laughs> yeah, I, I could have done the baseline by then. You're like, you know, all these thoughts, and then there's the resent. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like I, I could go on my void quarter and I could voice and I make my own backup singers. <laughs> You know, if I gotta wait yeah. for this, like this lady to do something and she keeps on like blowing me off, it's like I'll just go on my voice order and I'll make a chorus of like female <laughs> versions of myself and do it myself. <laughs> and then you send it to her, like I just re, you know, I just did your part better than you, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, because I'm just like I'm crazy because I want to get it done, you know? Uh, like I got a thought and I gotta finish it, right? I got this idea. And I can't wait six months because then I'm not going to be passionate about it six months from now. Yeah, the fire dies down. Yeah, there's a certain immediacy. Like, that's why people sometimes during the lockdown, they're like, oh, my whole process is getting wrecked. Like, have to be in the studio, right? Because they got to be in there with the people. Like, they got to be in there with the drummer. They got to be there with the producer. They got to be there with the keyboardist. Because they can't do this back and forth. They got to be, like, right there. And then they've been suffering because they're like, I can't get the stuff done because that's their style. And they're like, I can't wait for a wave file. I'm not, I can't, I can't get the, I can't get the feel on a wave file. I can't do that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just, um, I think it's been cool talking. I think we had, a, we had a good conversation. Uh, so I, I, I would love to, to see where you are with what you're doing. Uh, maybe six months from now, a lot of people we've had on the show, they, we, we do like album release shows or project release shows. So like when you have a project, 
uh, and you have an album ready to go, you could we could come back and you could we could have a whole show on that. Okay, is that for like singles or just like album like EP? Well, or... we've done we've done shows just on people doing singles. I did a band in Sweden, and all they had was like a YouTube video for one song, mm-hmm. and we still had like an hour episode to talk about it. <laughs> mm, okay. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's kind of like whatever your feature is. Like it doesn't have to be big, because mm-hmm. like one song. Like I, I was surprised. Like I was talking to a Swedish band, and they made a YouTube video, and they made they did a song, but it had like a lot of stuff behind it, right? And so we ended up talking an hour about how they did the video, what the song was about, how you know how they produced it during COVID and everything. And so we ended up taking so it, like it doesn't necessarily have to be like ten songs to make it work worthwhile. It can be, you know, anytime you talk about music or art, it can it can be made whatever it is. Yeah, okay. Sounds right. really dope. So I will definitely be interested in doing that. Yeah, yeah. Just let me know. Just ping me. And uh, we're going to put this out Yeah, on all of our 11 platforms, which are audio only. will be on Spotify, Apple, Radio Public, Overcast, Overture. Well, maybe uh, different, different ones. Um, yeah, there's many, many more. If you go on Anchor, you can see all the list that, that they publish to. Yeah, it would be within an hour, um, typically. And we'll send you the links. Put a top three, like Apple, Anchor, and Spotify. Okay, sounds good. It was super awesome talking to you. Thank you. Have, have, have a good night. And you will see our Instagram story promoting this uh, within probably an hour. Okay, okay. you have a good night, bye. too. Okay, bye. Bye.